It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. We are your hosts, Aaron Barker and Liz Neely. And this week, we have stories about calculations, probabilities, and love. (laughs) (laughs) We're calling this episode Dating by the Numbers. Which I am super excited. Well, not not so much as excited about the dating part, but definitely on the numbers <laughs> side. Sure, that's that's normal. <laughs> yeah, I've been. Um, I, as you know, I always like look for papers and do a bunch of reading. And this week, I have one all about online dating. And I think so. The central idea. All right, hit me with it. Dating has changed more in the past two decades than in the previous two thousand years. That checks out. So basically what they're saying is people used to meet through their family or their friends introducing them to other people, but now lots and lots of people, surprisingly high percentages of them, particularly in the U.S., meet each other online. And I mean, like this makes sense, right? Like your mom and your dad and your friends know maybe a few dozen people uh, and like Tinder knows several million. So our (laughs) our friends and family have been under serving us. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh but fair. (laughs) Okay, but so tech has another advantage, right? So it's not just the raw numbers, but it's also the algorithms that crunch those numbers to suggest matches to you. I like how I'm thinking. I'm like, yes, it's so exciting. But so, um, for example, a few years back, Netflix had a big competition about what teams who could improve their algorithms by 10 percent. And I have to say, like, I went and looked at uh, at Netflix and their recommendation algorithm. It knows me pretty well. It it said, uh, first, I should watch fight the system movies. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Love and technology movies. Absolutely. Uh, visually striking films, right? I, I am a sophisticated lady. And then uh, the next category was because you watched John Carter. <laughs> so, I mean, like the algorithms still have a little bit of improvement. <laughs> to, you win to some, make. you lose them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this was the, the focus, the idea that um, we no longer have individual people as matchmakers or intermediaries of any kind is is the topic of this paper that I'm so excited about. And the title is Disintermediating Your Friends, How, <laughs> How Online Dating in the U.S. Displaces Other Ways of Meeting. <laughs> that sounds a little rude. <laughs> I don't know well, how I feel about that. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, and it, they say that, that disintermediation, which I just love the word, is a ubiquitous trend. It's part of being in an online world. And they, they use the example of travel agents who used to have to book our flights or trips for us. And now we don't need them. But good news. The paper ends by saying friends and family are likely to remain important even if other intermediaries <laughs> see their roles and numbers diminish. So... Wow. Wow. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> call my mom and let her know. 
<laughs> Good news, friends and family. Well, let's see uh, how our storytellers today have dis- in- disintermediated, if I can get all those <laughs> syllables out. That's right. Our first story is from Tristan Atwood. It was recorded in August 2019 at Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, D.C. The theme was Lost and Found. So I was sitting around, I was hanging out, and I was checking my phone like you do. And I realized that 80% of all the photos on my phone were of my cat, Peek, which is adorable, but a little weird. And then I went and texted my friend about this, and I realized 80% of my texts to my friend were also about my cat, Peek, which is still adorable, but like a little weirder. And I realized I should really, uh, you know, expand my social circle. I should really get out there, uh, meet some new people. And so I decided I should start dating, so I was single at the time. But the last time I went out there and I was like trying to meet people, trying to date, it was in college, it was an undergrad, which is a very different environment from being a professional in DC, right? It's much easier. So because I wasn't into the bar scene, I decided I'm gonna use the internet for this, I'm gonna use OkCupid. And the reason I used OkCupid was because it is, or it claims to be a data date driven dating website, right? They've got a whole data blog, um, create an account there, answer a bunch of questions. They use some algorithms to match with people. And as a data guy, I really liked that. I really loved that kind of rigor to it. I thought that's going to make things better. So I get, I get up there, I create a profile, answer some questions, start matching with people, and I go on some dates. Nothing's really happening, but it's fun. I'm getting out there, I'm meeting new people, I'm not taking pictures of my cat. It's good. <laughs> And then I get matched with this girl. She's cute. And according to the site, we are 99% compatible, right? We are basically perfect. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. The science has just you know, delivered my soulmate to me. I can check the box on dating. Everything's good. You know, just solve this right here. So we go on a date. Uh, we get drinks, just chatting, you know, normal first date stuff. Until apropos of nothing, she just suddenly says, you know, I don't really believe in rape. Which is not how I expected that conversation to go. And I didn't really know how to respond because like, how do you respond to that out of nowhere? And so I just sort of said, oh, and did whatever. And over the course of the conversation, it became clear that she was of the opinion that you could always fight someone off, which is not something I believe. And I was like, trying not to engage, but like I sort of couldn't help myself because that was weird. Um, and so I'm like, well, okay, but like size and leverage and all these things. And she says, no, 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 that's fine. I've got a combat knife in my purse and I've taken classes on how to use it, which is really not how I expected that conversation to go. So I take a quick look, make sure I know where the exits are in case I need to run. Date ends uneventfully compared to that. Uh, we say our goodbyes, I give her a fake phone number, I go home. And I fell into this really deep, weird funk, right? Because the, the data, the science had told me, hey, we are 99% compatible, right? It's like 1% off from perfect. It's basically perfect. And what does that mean that this is what perfect for me looks like? <laughs> right, right, you see my problem. So I got way inside my head about that for a couple days. And then I found myself just staring 
at my, at my profile on the website, which is always a healthy thing to do. <laughs> and I'm staring at it, I'm thinking, you know what, no, okay? Their data got me into this mess, my data will get me out of this mess. <laughs> so I created a spreadsheet, which is, again, always healthy. <laughs> I created a spreadsheet and I just started uh, recording basic demographic information, right? So name, age, uh, what do they do? Uh, how did I think the date went? What did I think of them? Do they talk about having a knife? Basic information. <laughs> and I start going on dates and I'm just looking for anything that pops up. I don't really know what's important so I'm just looking at anything. And I found something which was interesting. So. For women in the age range I was dating, according to the US Social Security Administration, the most common name is Jessica, okay? So about a third of all women, roughly, uh, born between 80 and 89 are named Jessica. But when I looked at my data, 40% of all the women were named Catherine, or some version of Catherine. So Catherine, Kate, Katie, Cat, whatever, some version of Catherine which is doubly interesting because there were only screen names. I didn't know what, that her name was Catherine before I went on this date with her, but it was because they were all named Catherine. <laughs> and this was awesome, right? This validated my approach. I'm like, okay, I am clearly dating some interesting subset of the population. <laughs> I know, right? And I can use this, like I can make things better using this leverage I have, this data. But knowing that my next date is probably going to be named Catherine is interesting, but not useful. So I need to find out what the useful stuff is. So at this point, I switched from a spreadsheet to a database I made in SQL one night. <laughs> Still super healthy. <laughs> and I was collecting all the same old data, but I was also collecting a bunch more data, right? So. Uh, Ethnicity, religion, is religion important to them? Where'd they go to school? What's their degree in? A whole bunch of things, about 20 fields all told. And I thought, this is gonna really help me optimize this, help me fix this. And I'm gonna stop here for a second. When you create a database that has 20-something data elements in on it, and then you go on your first date, you're not a good date. <laughs> so, in a first date, ideally you have like lively, interesting, you know, conversation. I was just mentally going like data element one, name, <laughs> data element two, age, and just going down the list, which is A, not how people talk, and B, made me seem like a crazy person. It made me seem like a stalker, which is definitely not what I wanted. So luckily I was able to realize I was doing this. I was able to be cool for once, which was a great surprise. And then I was able to move on, right? So over the course of dating, uh, over the course of about two years, I went on, give or take, 250 first dates, which is too many first dates. Like, that is too many. But what that did do is that gave me a ton of data, right? I could really run some analysis on this and create a profile of someone I matched well with and matched well with and someone I didn't, which was awesome. Because when you go on 250 something dates, you get so dejected, right? Because most first dates are not interesting. There's no sudden knife. It's just boring, <laughs> lifeless conversation. And that really drains you emotionally, right? So I must have told my friends I'm giving up dating a half dozen times, which they loved, by the way, they loved that. But 
with this profile, I was able to actually be really strategic with my uh, emotional energy, right? With my kind of what I did. So if I match with someone and nothing's, a, you know, there's just red flags, great, move on. If I match with someone and it's all great, okay, perfect. I can put my energy into that. So what I was finding was my kind of mathematically ideal date was ethnically Jewish, but religion was not a big part of her life. Uh, she went to a small private college Interesting side note, if they went to an Ivy League, huge red flag, huge red flag. <laughs> Never would have guessed that, but if you went to an Ivy League school and went on a date with me, just terrible, boring conversation, you want to leave. Uh, they had a very dark sense of humor, and the most correlated with things going well was them messaging me first, which was interesting and probably says some stuff about me. So, all of this was great when Jessica messaged me first, great sign. Turns out uh, she had a master's degree, another great flag. She went to a small private college, right? So we're going on a date, things are going really well, I'm getting excited. I'm thinking, she's awesome, but you know, I wish she would match a couple more things, which she did on our second date when dark sense of humor is a good, a good flag for me and she made so many murder jokes. <laughs> it was just nonstop murder jokes. Which worked for me to the point where about a year, two years after that, we got married. And then about three months ago, we had our son, Roland, who's tiny and perfect. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. All right, so I went on 250 first dates, built a database, did all this analysis, found Jessica, right? Great, perfect. Except that Jessica went on one date with me and was done. So data and science will get you a long way, but it's not the only way to get there. <laughs> Thank you. That was Tristan Atwood. Tristan works as a business analyst for the airline industry. He relocated from Portland to Washington, D.C. more than a decade ago. Uh, he, works as a, he was working as a field organizer for a Senate campaign. Uh, Tristan says that he spends his free time renovating his D.C. townhouse, playing Dungeons and & Dragons, and apologizing for the airline industry. <laughs> Which don't we all? Big burden to take on. Yeah, that's right. He lives with his wife, Jessica, and their newborn baby, Roland Tiberius. So, a happy ending. Yeah, it's such a, I love that story. The, ki the, the kicker just kills me. <laughs> I also love his databases, no surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers. Yeah, but I think our next story thinks about numbers in a slightly different way. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different take. <laughs> Our next story today is from Gastor El Monte. It was recorded in September 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was role models. Um, whenever people go shopping for condoms, they never... <laughs> They never price shop, you know, like they don't look for the best budget. And it's one of the few items like that, you know, like you never see somebody haggling at the corner store, you know, like, hey, yo, listen, I need those lifestyles, but three for five is ridiculous. I've never seen this conversation. And it's it's a shame because every every penny counts. 
You know, this is something I hold dear. My dad told me this. You know, he sat me down one day. He's a guest. So listen, um, you're 24 years old. When I was 24, I owned a supermarket, three rental properties, and a vacant lot. <laughs> I owned the futon. And <laughs> we weren't on the same level. He was concerned, valuably so. You know, so he was like, listen, you got to start, you know, you're making decent money. You got to start being more aware of how you're spending your money, you know, and start putting money aside because at some point you're going to need it. And if you don't need it, your friends will need it. And if your friends don't need it, your family will need it. And when that moment happens, you're going to be happy you did. Always do the math. So later that week, when my girlfriend said, hey, Gasol, my sister's bachelorette party's coming up. I need to buy a hundred condoms for the for the party, so that we could do the party bachelorette games. That I don't know what y'all do with, but apparently you need a hundred condoms to play these games. And she told me that after her Amazon search, the best she could find was seventy-seven condoms for a hundred dollars. I felt compelled to put my father's words, you know, into action. Every penny counts. Do the math. So first, you know, I did the recon. I'm with one person. We've been together for a while. I'm not out there having a ton of condom necessary sex at this point. So I call my friend Jeff. He's a bachelor. Like, hey, Jeff, listen, clearly you're at a point in your life where you're not buying condoms at the corner store. How do you, you know, buy condoms in the most economically friendly way, you know? As a responsible adult, I feel like we need to have these conversations. And he tells me, he's like, all right, you know, I go to Walgreens, I get, you know, a 24-pack for 16 bucks, roughly 50 cent a condom. That seems better, but not great. <laughs> we could do more. I'm trying to buy 100 condoms. And when you, when you start verbalizing the attempt to buy 100 condoms, you sound more and more like a really ambitious drug dealer. <laughs> you know? Like, listen, man. I'm not trying to do these low purchases. I want the source. <laughs> I'm trying to buy in bulk here, you know? So, you know, I'm li looking at my girlfriend. I'm like, listen, honey, um, I can't let you spend $100 on 77 condoms just out of principle. Let me sit down at the computer and see what I can find. I'm doing Google searches. I'm looking around. Um, turns out that New York had just launched this program giving away condoms. <laughs> It was crazy. Perfect timing. If you don't believe in God, that is a sign of him right there. But it was incredible to me. They gave away condoms for any business that was looking to give away free condoms. They had people receiving condoms for free. I, I thought this was a blessing. So I clicked on the website. Now, a few things for those of you that haven't uh, clicked on the New York City condom website and... <laughs> You are now interested in this free condom hustle. Let me let you know right now that it doesn't function the way you would think. Like, I thought I was going to be like, hey, listen, I need 100 condoms. Where can we meet up? You know, I thought that's how it would work. It doesn't work that way. They make you answer a whole bunch of questions. Hey, listen, uh, what organization do you work with? How many people are you expecting? You know, so I'm filling it up. Like, I got a youth group. Um, roughly... 25 to 35, all females, uh, about 50 of them, they're meeting once. <laughs> what do you got? 
And um, listen, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know much about the government, um, <laughs> but if you don't know this, and, and I, I tell I tell y'all this so y'all can learn today, if the if you ever ask the government of the city of New York, hey, listen, how do I get free condoms? They take that seriously. You know, say what you will, MTA, they haven't solved it. But this condom situation, <laughs> they got it locked down. I asked, I said 50 people, condoms one time. I got 2,000 condoms sent to my house. <laughs> and a 1,000 packs of loot. <laughs> In boxes that were clearly marked, New York City condoms. <laughs> You know, now when you receive 2,000 condoms and 1,000 packs of lube, you, like, I know I filled out a chart online to receive it, but I still feel like I did something wrong. <laughs> you know, like, say there's a crime happening here. I don't know what it is, but there's something illegal about me getting this many condoms because there's no event where 2,000 condoms is the right amount of condoms, right? Like, whatever you're thinking of, this is still too many condoms. <laughs> So I'm looking at the condoms, clearly. I take them into my room. I hide them because I'm concerned. You know, I just had a conversation with my dad. And it's not that, you know, my dad knows I'm having sex. I'm not nervous about him finding out I'm having sex. But we just had a serious talk about me making smarter economic decisions. Every penny counts. Do the math. And I don't know any smart decisions that start with you receiving 2,000 condoms <laughs> and 1,000 packs of lube. I wasn't ready for that conversation. So I take him to my room, you know, first thing I do, I call, I call up Gabby. I'm like, honey, um, how many condoms you think you'll need for this party? She said, I know 50 to 100. <clears throat> um, so can we do like 40 of these parties? Because <laughs> I got a problem here, you know? And she, she comes over to the house. She's like, what the hell did you do? I was like, I, I told him what was happening. Apparently... When you say 50 women are going to a party, they say, well, they need 40 condoms each and 20 packs of lube. I don't know what is happening in New York single scene, but that's impressive that they're living their life that well out there. So, yeah, we got we got to move this product. Like, what are we going to do here? This is a lot of merchandise that's in my room. You know, so I'm like, honey, you got to take these with you. She's like, I can't take those with me. I need 100 condoms max. I'm not taking all these condoms. I'm like, honey, this is your fault. I got 2,000 condoms in my house. She's like, gas, so let's think about this logically. You know, so I, I, I'm, I'm staring at the condom. I open up the box. It comes out. There's, there's nothing but condoms. They're packed in these, like, real plastic see-through bricks in rows of 250. And it has a paper on top. It tells you some of the data, you know, like 98% uh, of pregnancies can be avoided with condoms so i'm staring at this like oh like i'm saving 1960 possibly frustrated couples if i just give these out so i'm like honey this is this is a moment this is this is us doing the math every penny counts i'm not just saving you a hundred dollars on 77 condoms i'm saving 1960 couples from two hundred thousand dollars in payments raising possible babies. I need to give out these condoms. 
She's like, yeah, so that's a mission that you are going to have to do on your own. <laughs> We're married now, by the way. This is my partner. But I go about it. I call all my friends. I call them over. I'm like, yo, uh, I got condoms. And I learned something. A lot of single people need condoms. They'll tell you they need condoms if you ask them in conversation, hey, how's your sex life going, whatever, whatever. But when you call people and directly ask them, hey, do you want condoms? Nobody says yes. They all ask the same thing. They're like, what's going on? <laughs> like, why does something got to be wrong? Because I'm trying to be a good friend and give you condoms. I'm trying to be helpful here. Take the, you know, this for you. After three conversations of me having to explain for 10 minutes about the condom situation and nobody agreeing to take more than a handful of condoms, I felt like I had to start like treating it like Primerica, like I needed to have people come in bulk to a meeting and sell them all at once. You know, so I had all my friends meet up at the house and say, yo, listen, man, you guys are out there. You're doing your thing. Happy for you guys. Live that single life. That's fantastic. But you know what? I want to live that single life with you guys for much longer than the next nine months. So I need you guys to take some of these condoms. And everybody starts getting shy. Normally, my friends bragged after the party. Like, Yo, I got with this beautiful woman, blah, blah, blah. Yo, I bagged this girl the other day. All of a sudden, when I'm giving away condoms, everybody won't be all shy about it. Oh, no, I only need five condoms, G. <laughs> And I'm like, listen, you don't understand. I got 2,000 condoms, 1,000 packs of lube. You can't be, you know, shy about the situation. I need you to be ambitious. Go out there, use as many of these condoms as you can. I'm a sign. You are now allotted 20 condoms each, all right? That's the minimum order you're taking. And I handed them out. Caught up my friend Mark. It was his birthday. I say, yo, Mark, you're getting a brick of condoms, 250 condoms. <laughs> I believe in you. You know, this year, yeah. <laughs> My friend Eric was in from the Navy. He's like, yo, we dock at the bays in different countries every like three to six months. I said, you need a brick of condoms. <laughs> you got to save everybody on this boat, man. This is the future of America. They can't be protecting people's, you know, borders if they worried about their kid in Malaysia because they didn't have a condom that day. Here is 250 condoms for everybody in this boat. Make it happen out there, you know. And I gave them a lot. It took the whole weekend. It took effort. You know, I was out. I I was down to like 400 condoms on Sunday night. And I was like, listen, man, I'm going to just put these out at Crown Fried Chicken. And <laughs> when you start giving out condoms at Crown Fried, initially people look at you a little weird. But then you become very popular at Crown Fried, you know? Because first you got to explain it. You're like, yo, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm just giving out condoms. Yeah, condoms, yeah, condoms. And everybody looks at you funny for like the first half hour. Afterward, everybody's like, yo, that's the condom man. Yo, go find the condom man. He's giving out condoms. Everybody knew me. Condom man, I got you. I gave out 400 condoms, 400 packs of lube, one night crown fried chicken. I didn't pay for my chicken that day. <laughs> When when you give out 2,000 packs of condoms and 1,000 packs of lube over the course of two days, you are tired. Ironically, as tired as if you would use 2,000 condoms and 1,000 packs of lube. 
you know. So I woke up a little late that day. I need to help out my dad walking around the neighborhood, going to the different uh, buildings that he owns. And at least three, four times, people would come up to me. Hey, yo, kind of dope. You good people, man. Yo, condom, yo, this your dad? Yo, condom dude, you made a good son with condom dude, man. <laughs> yo, condom man is your son? Yo, <sighs> listen, man, he's a blessing to this neighborhood. Like, it was warm, but he was, admittedly, he was a little confused. He was like, I don't know what's going on here, but you seem to have a reputation. First, and the first time somebody calls you condom dude to your dad's face, you wanna you wanna pretend like oh I don't know people crazy in Brooklyn, Dad. I don't know what's happening. But by the third time you get called condom man, you gotta you gotta own it. He's like, Gas, what's going on? I was like, Dad, I took your advice. Want to save money on some condoms. Needed it for the bachelorette party. I found a way to get free condoms. I got way too many free condoms. So I gave out the condoms. He said, Why'd you do that? He said, Cause you told me. I got a responsibility. Every penny counts. You told me to do the math. And if you do the math, at some point, you'll need it. Your friends will need it. Or your family might need it. And when you have it, you'll be happy you did. I took that to heart. <laughs> He's like, yeah, so this had nothing to do with that at all. But, you know, I, I could see how this might work. I was like, thank you, thank you. We finished doing our work. And four weeks later, my dad knocks on my door. I thought, you know, okay, he seems to have let this go. I think we're on good terms now. He's banging on my door after I ain't respond. And I'm like, what's going on, Pop? He's like, yo, condom man. I'm like, what happened? Why are you calling me that, Pop? You got a new delivery. <laughs> And I get to the door, it turns out when you sign up for free condoms with the government of New York City, they think that you will need these condoms consistently every four to eight weeks for the rest of your life. <laughs> so I spent two years just giving out thousands of condoms all over East New York. And I like to think, like, I saved so many couples from my neighborhood from having, you know, babies that they weren't ready for yet, you know? And it's a beautiful thing, all because I did the math. And I gave out a few condoms, and I know how to use Google. Thank you very much. That was Gastor Almonte. In addition to being my co-producer and co-host at Story Collider's <laughs> upcoming Brooklyn-based show, which starts February 3rd at Union Hall. Woo! Uh, <laughs> in addition to all of that, Gastor is a stand-up comedian and storyteller who has appeared on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening, as well as The Risk podcast and previously on our podcast. Uh, Time Out Magazine named him one of your new comedy obsessions. He's been featured in the New York Comedy Festival, the People Improv Theater's Solo Com and Cinderblock Comedy Festival. His new album, Immigrant Made, was released in March 2019, and Gastor is very modest, so he won't tell you that it topped the charts on Amazon, <laughs> but I will. <laughs> Gastor is one of those people that it doesn't matter who they are, 
Old men, young women, small children, they love him. (laughs) As do we all. We were at dinner down in Miami with our Miami workshop team. Um, One of our workshoppers, a little kiddo, came along and just instantly fell in love with Gastor, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The Story Collider is grateful for Gastor Almonte, but also (laughs) grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of the Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker. And me, Executive Director Liz Neely, with the help of Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. Stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by me, Aaron Barker, Gastor Almonte, Mariam Zaringhalem, and Shane Hanlon. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Zoe Saunders, John Chen, and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Caveat and Beer Baron Tavern for hosting these shows, and to all the condom dudes out there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Condom dude is a gender-neutral term. It encompasses all identities. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.